this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath hindenburg research an american activist short seller known for going after companies that they believe are excessively overvalued has unleashed a storm in the markets and regulatory circles with a report on the Adani group in its report hindenburg has accused the adanis of pulling off within quotes the most egregious corporate fraud unquote in history the allegations include stock manipulation round tripping of funds using shell companies and money laundering while the adanis hit back with a 413 page rejoinder the markets have so far sided with hindenburg as adani stocks tumbled and their group companies saw about 100 billion dollars of market cap wiped out the adani's then scraped through in their follow on public offer or fpo that closed on jan 31st but the very next day they withdrew the fpo citing moral reasons and in the meantime swiss investment banker credit suisse has announced that it will no longer accept adani bonds as collateral and at the same time dow jones has dropped adani group companies from its sustainability indices which is a big blow when it comes to raising funds in the international markets so what do these allegations mean for the lay investor will the securities and exchange board of india sebi act to order a probe into the whole thing where does this leave indian public sector banks who have very high exposure to the adani stocks we explore all these questions today with amol agrawal who teaches economics at ahmedabad university amol thank you so much for joining us my pleasure sampath thank you for having me here amol we know that the adani group has been the subject of investigations by the directorate of revenue intelligence or dri and by sebi itself in the past on very serious charges so how much of what the indenburg report is now alleging is actually new and why should it be taken more seriously than how the earlier allegations were taken and they earlier allegations didn't seem to have much of an impact on the meteoric valuations that the group has enjoyed over the last couple of years yeah i think this is a very good question to start with and uh, to looking at uh the coverage on the adani group and financial media has been telling us that the group has been leveraged uh, it has much more debt on its books uh, but i think uh, what really turned around uh, with the hindenburg report is hindenburg uh, very categorically saying that this is you know one of the biggest frauds or the biggest fraud and a con act which the group is putting together and i think that whole headline and the way the report was positioned uh, was uh, really uh, you know something reading and something to figure out because it did, did attract a fair bit of eyeballs and uh, apart from uh, the the financials which i think are in public domain but having said that i have not really you know seen this sort of analysis where so many of uh, the indicators of the group the financial indicators of various companies are trading at you know meteoric valuations as you suggested and i think what also comes comes across in this uh, in this kind of investigation is uh, you know the cross holdings and the kind of uh, ways in which the group has raised funds and so on and the kind of investigation the analysts of the hindenburg 
company have done where they have traveled uh, to singapore they've traveled to all kinds of places click pictures of directors homes and so on and so forth so it's in that sense it's a it's a good it's a good uh, sort of a report if not 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 really taking their side but in terms of how should one you know investigate these things and the way they have gone around investigating not just the financials but the governance bit and uh, you know the way the group has managed its uh, it's so maybe all this information was known but people didn't know how this uh, is being managed and uh, and how this uh, holdings and debt and so on is being managed so the way they if one uh, believes the report then there is a lot of meat in the report in terms of uh, the way uh, the group was organized and the way the group was governed and so on so maybe financial information was uh, sort of publicly known but the governance and all that was not as well known right i think that's a very good distinction you're making here because financial information about the group companies uh, it was like uh, widely known and uh, especially the bit about corporate governance related aspects i think they were not really put together in one package the way the hindenburg research uh, uh, organization has done and speaking of meteoric valuations i mean i just somebody tweeted i think paranjoy the, the journalist who's been following the adani group for years now he put out a tweet uh, i think yesterday where he shows the valuation uh, of the adani uh, the, sh- the share prices of adani enterprises which used to be adani exports from 1994 uh, and from the beginning till 2023 you know and t- it it begins with around 140 rupees from the time they go they do their ipo in 94 and then it goes to 146 150 uh, 76 you know 200 300 400 so in jan 2021 the share price was 480 rupees okay and in jan 2023 it's more than 3000 rupees you know in two years from 480 to 3000 like how does one understand this i mean i am not a, uh, a, a, an expert on the markets i don't understand economics and business and finance how does is it like common has it ever happened uh, with any other company which is not a tech company as such that your share price goes from 480 to 3000 plus 3300 400 that too during a time when you know there's a pandemic which is just coming to a close how does this happen how does one understand this it is it is very interesting to see the kind of meteoric rise the company has seen and uh, people who have been tracking the stock and so on uh, i have obviously not they themselves are not sure why the stock has risen so much and your point absolutely well taken that we've not really had these cases and whenever we've had these cases the downfall has also been equally problematic because uh, you see uh, stock markets valuing certain things or the way uh, it may not be valued as such but it could be through some xyz reasons that stock prices are going up and then suddenly uh, you see that oh it was not really what it was and you saw stock prices uh, declining and, and i think uh, without really you know getting into criticism or anything i think this is a lesson which financial market people always tell you that uh you know meteoric rise is something to really worry about because there is no magic here i mean money and uh, there are lots of books on uh on you know this whole money making process and so on and all of these lessons do tell us that any any such gain is usually leads to equally uh you know equally bad downfall 
and there is no magic there you have to really grind it out you have to spend many years before you know you can yeah yeah there is no magic here yes correct uh, but you know this meteoric uh, valuation is what hindenburg starts off with as well and they are saying that the companies are overvalued by 85% you know on average so you've got a huge potential downside of 85% already and then they go on to talk about uh, various uh, you know stock manipulation related uh, aspects you know where they go into the shell companies can you just sort of break it down for our viewers listeners rather like what is the modus operandi like the forbes recently published a report saying that even in the fpo there seems to be a case of the promoter related parties themselves buying up a lot of stock and so on so what is the modus operandi we hear terms like parking stocks in certain shell companies in tech havens and then those stocks coming back into the market like what is the the the, the mechanism through which uh, they are able to hoodwink uh, the market regulator according to hindenburg yeah so according to hindenburg the way they explain this is that you basically as far as indian laws are concerned 25% of the market cap has to be or 25% of the shares have to be really floated in the markets and uh, what seems to be happening here is that in order to you know reach to this 25% what you are doing is that you are parking some shares in 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 a sort of a shell company and that shell company is 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 in the family's name but it is shown as Uh, some other independent company and in that process uh, and all these shell companies are registered somewhere else not just in india so so what is happening is that that money is coming to india and showing ownership in the adani stock as owned by somebody else but it's actually family's money uh, i mean that's what hindenburg is saying that it is basically you are you know you know taking away these funds from uh, the adani group and then you know round tripping it through some channels uh, registering it somewhere and that company that shell company in that sense is buying shares of the adani group and showing it as owned by somebody else registered somewhere else you know maybe showing up as the foreign institutional investment or something like that but it's actually not so if one is including all of that uh, including all these uh, as per indenberg report then it's not uh, adani's most companies are not meeting the public float criteria Twenty-five percent. Right. So that that would mean that it is they meet the threshold for delisting, right? If it's established. Right. Right. Absolutely. But but that has not happened. So effectively, they are they own more than seventy-five percent, which is what a promoter is allowed to right. uh, hold. And yet they are able to uh, evade this uh, regulation by sort of showing the public showing the the promoter own shares as public own shares. Right. So apart from this, there are also allegations of uh, round tripping and money laundering. Uh, is this something that we should be concerned about? That say the ED should be concerned about? Oh, uh, I definitely think so because uh, we've uh, seen the ED being very active, uh, you know, of late, trying to figure out all these uh, ways of money laundering and so on. And uh, if you know there are stakes here, and obviously. i don't know how this whole process is driven who who decides that uh, this needs to be investigated typically i would imagine the government and so on so i don't know how this mechanism would be but i think it is without really uh, saying that adani is is really involved yeah i think that these claims have to be have to be uh, figured out and then only one can say who is who is whether hindenburg is right or adani is right 
Right. Now, uh, see, Hindenburg has made all these allegations about irregularities. And uh, in, in other parts of the world, for example, in Australia, the regulator has said they are reviewing these allegations. And in India, of course, uh, Hindenburg in, in itself, in its own report, has been critical of uh, uh, the failures or refusals or, or, or inability to act by the Indian regulator, which is SEBI. So, what exactly are the allegations Hindenburg is making about SEBI? Yeah, I think uh, uh, what is going on is that, you know, all these uh, things of money uh, laundering and money tripping and mark and money coming back to stock markets and SEBI demanding certain information. So what Hindenburg is saying is that, you know, it's perhaps been too slow. And uh, having said that, uh, the, the report is also telling Hindenburg's report saying that SEBI has been penalizing Adani and, uh, and the group. They have been involved in uh, certain stock uh, market problems earlier on too with uh, Ketan Parekh and some of the other, I mean, that's all public information. Uh, but having said that, uh, they have not done enough. And uh, there are, and Hindenburg is making this claim that it has spoken to some SEBI insider or maybe a former uh, SEBI person or a former markets person who's saying that everybody's involved here and they, they get bribes and all that. Obviously, that's a very, uh, you know, that's a very tall claim to make. Uh, so one has to investigate these things. And uh, obviously, we also have the Indian parliamentarian, uh, Mohua Mo- Mitra, who's been arguing about these things and uh, saying that SEBI should investigate. So maybe, and I think SEBI has started that process. Maybe it's been slow. But then I don't know, I mean, how this whole thing works. I mean, at the end of the day, we are all human beings and SEBI is composed of human beings. And, uh, you know, the way, various ways in which money can come to you and come to markets is always interesting. But at the same time, it also tells you interesting and frustrating in the sense that interesting because you're like oh there are so so many interesting ways in which humans figure these things out frustrating as in how much how much can a regulator really do because uh, this is this is really should sebi have a forensic investigation behind all these claims uh, behind all these annual reports then it will delay many more things so it's it's not an easy answer i mean uh, for a regulator also to have at this point right but given the nature, I mean, the magnitude, the seriousness of the allegations and the fact that it could actually, if if, if they are true, if they are actually borne out uh, by facts, uh, it could actually, the, the, the whole thing could spread, you know, it's just one group of companies, but then it could spread to uh, other corporates, it could spread to the, it could affect the Indian banks. So doesn't that actually make a very robust case for a thorough independent investigation? No, it does make a, you know, absolute case, thorough case for an investigation because, uh, you know, Adani is no small group. It is, it, it is, it is a very large entity by all means. It's, it's, uh, it's meteoric rise has, uh, has, you know, led to a lot of uh, discussions and so on. And, uh, and I think it's in the interest of everyone that, uh, this investigation is done because whatever claims Adani Group is making, that it's all clear. If it's all clear, then they don't have to worry. And I mean, and then Hindenburg ends up being on the wrong side. So, so in that sense, and your point absolutely taken that it's uh, there is a lot, lot of connectivity. Even RBI has come up with some press release yesterday saying that all is in control. But then I am not too happy with the responses uh, given by banks and organizations who are saying that look, we have only so much share in loan share we it's it's very little it's not so much about the the little i mean the scale here it is basically the connectedness we've we've learned this in the subprime housing markets where the overall 
subprime assets were very less compared to the overall housing. We've seen it in the Greek crisis where Greece economy was very little compared to what the European economy was. But then it is this connectivity of the financial system and so on. As you rightly said, that could really spread. And that's where the concerns are that, you know, what is going on here? And and I think uh, SEBI should, SEBI, ED and whoever is involved here, RBI, they should do a thorough investigation to understand what's going on. Right. Now, moving on to the uh, the aftermath of the Hindenburg uh, report, what happened after it came out? There's been a lot of uh, discussion about the Adani FPO, the follow-on public offer. It looked like it's going to really struggle, but uh, it uh, the Adani's did manage to scrape through and, and get it oversubscribed. And uh, it, we had a bizarre situation where on Jan 31st, I mean, when, when the whole uh, offer got closed, we found that the investors had purchased it at a, at a price which was much higher than the market price or the price at which they could have got it if they were in the market. So it was around trading around 2,700 in the market, but they paid a price of 3,200 plus. So what was what could possibly have been their thinking? And we know that most of them were high net worth individuals. They had money. So what, uh, like, is there any rationale or a situation, you know, theoretically where it would make sense for them to do this? No, I think, uh, you know, this is something they, uh, I mean, the, the way the events panned out was the whole uh, breathlessness of it would have really exhausted the the group and they would initially be thinking that, look, we have to get this FPO going. And I think uh, it would have perhaps been a prudent strategy to uh, to call out FPO right, uh, right at the beginning rather than go through this collection business and then, because... One way to look at it is that, uh, look, I manage this FPO and uh, the Hindenburg report is all crappy because all these domestic investors are, uh, are, I mean, all these high net individuals, they will not just put in money because they are friends with me or something. They, they put in money because they think that there's a business case here. So, uh, so in that sense, the FPO goes through. Another way to look at it is that, okay, there is a morality problem, which is what Adani is saying that, you know, given the overall fact that we've just managed it, managed it through some pockets and not through the retail investors. And if retail investors had put in money, then maybe I would have had confidence. So uh, in that process, I have uh, returned it. It's absolutely bizarre, you you know, uh, the way the whole thing panned out. Because, uh, I mean, Hindenburg is not not like, a you know, JP Morgan or, you know, one of those CLSA or those, those kind of analysts which are really big and they have a, you know, global presence and they pick up this company and they say that, look, this is overvalued or something. This is a very small, you know, outlet, short selling out outlet and so on. And uh, how does a report of this kind of a uh, analyst create the kind of impact it has? So, I, I mean, to me, this is equally interesting to understand that of all the reports, of all the analysis, and as we, you know, first question, you know, that let only meteoric rise. How is this, this, with this one report really created this kind of impact? And I mean, initially Adani's would have discounted it, but then they, they must have seen that, you know, this is just creating an unbelievable impact. They must have must, must have been surprised. So then they decided to call it off. And then they would only know why they called it off when they made all the hard work to arrange all the funds. Right. I mean, is there any corporate who has faced this kind of an attack by Hindenburg and actually gone on to do very well? Not by Hindenburg, but we do hear the uh, Reliance Group I had faced similar problems in the 80s or something. I mean, I'm forgetting what 80s, I think, where uh, Nirubai Ambani had also f- had to figure out ways to to uh, to bail the company out. 
but then those times were very different i mean we we were hardly as financially globalized and so on today's times are very different yeah i mean we do get a lot of this comparisons and especially on social media a lot of people are saying listen uh, the ambani's also went through a similar kind of a tough time but then they bounced back and it's similar uh, to what the adanis are going to do uh, it's a tough time for them they're going to bounce back and that seems to, maybe it's one way of sort of uh, uh, building confidence but as you rightly said Uh, the situation today is very very different from how it was with the with the ambanis uh, when they went through a tough patch i mean today it's as you said it's a very integrated financial system it's globalized and uh, it's much quicker in terms of effects and ripple effects spreading and one example of that is of course uh, within two days uh, of the fp within a day actually credit suisse uh, the the swiss banker uh, who's very influential globally has announced that it will no longer accept bonds of the adani group as collateral for margin loans uh, given to its private banking clients and this made headlines around the world so what are the implications of uh, this kind of a decision is there going to be a domino effect here no i i mean it is a domino effect because uh, you know we can be uh, i mean credit suisse uh, won't, won't take this decision without saying uh, without reading the hindenburg report they must have seen something out of it Uh, because these are not investors who you know do things on just hearsay or you know just because somebody is saying it so they must have looked at the report they must have evaluated their situation and must have seen this domino effect coming and uh, they said you know better to be safe than sorry so in that sense uh, they decided to I mean that's what I'm that's what the, the, the whole thing of how global this has become uh, is very interesting i was just reading that boris johnson's younger boris johnson's brother who was on one of the adani companies uh board has resigned uh bangladesh is asking to review the agreement uh, the power agreement i mean it's it's my it's mind boggling in terms of uh how this is spread uh, the way it is spread yeah i mean uh, it's it's interesting because many of uh, uh the projects which india has sort of uh, Uh, ventured into in its neighborhood first policy they have all been given to uh, this one group and now they uh, the the beneficiaries are the potential beneficiaries of those projects in those neighboring countries uh, they are going to be asking questions so it's not just a financial uh, or or a business uh, crisis it could potentially lead to uh, diplomatic and political issues as well and that is something that we don't have time to get into in this podcast so coming back to uh, adani and hindenburg another big uh, agent who has sort of taken a made a move on this is dow jones which has removed uh, the adani group of companies from its sustainability indices which is a very important uh, measure of a group's financial strength and robustness so uh, is that going to make it difficult for the adanis to raise funds going forward Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, all these indices are very prestigious. To be included in these indices uh, means that uh, somebody has done the homework on you, and you are included in this elite, in this exclusive group. Uh, how many? I mean, which is really a global group. Uh, you know, this is not just about Nifty or which is Indian index. Dow Jones is is as global as it can get. So it obviously ruins the Adani Group's image uh, and dents the image uh, much more in global markets. and uh, make it very difficult going forward to raise funds but then uh, i think what is very crucial here is to get this investigation going uh, very quickly and trying to trying to reveal whatever truth there is and that's the only way you know 
Adani's uh, can come back uh, in in this sort of space. Otherwise, they've lost a lot of uh, you know image already, and a lot of reputation is already gone down the drain. Uh, and with Dow Jones excluding it, and again, I mean, uh, these are not entities which will just do this for the sake of doing it. They are doing it because they must have seen something, something from these reports and something from the overall environment, and said that look, we don't want to be involved in in this kind of problem. Right. It's quite. Uh, it's not very difficult to say the obvious here, which is that there needs to be a robust investigation into all these allegations because they are, nobody has uh, you know has the time to just do it for fun. You know they have done two years of work into this, so it should be investigated. But at the same time, we have seen the kind of response or the lack of it uh, so far. There has been an attempt to bring in nationalism. You know the Adani group has literally wrapped itself in the national flag and has sort of portrayed. The Hindenburg Group, uh, Hindenburg Research report as an attack on India, so to speak. And we also uh, have seen sort of a lot of a narrative being built uh, that it is basically uh, a kind of a conspiracy to attack the India story. We've seen Adani's lawyer saying as much. And uh, so we also, it's not a secret that uh, the Adani group is close to the ruling political dispensation. So here, again, the, there is a question mark over whether we will get a robust independent probe. And if so, how robust and independent will it actually prove to be? And here actually is my big question for you. On the one hand, there is this need for a probe. And on the other hand, there is this temptation or rather this likelihood that uh, India might take the easy way out or the path of least resistance, which is to sort of ride the storm out and hope that things settle down and then we go back to business as usual. Because we also know, for instance, that the Adanis are actually the sort of flag bearer for many, if not most of the infrastructure projects which India is sort of unrolling, you know, over the next few years, you know, ports, highways, uh, oil uh, refineries and, you know, a lot of these infrastructure projects are going to be handled, green energy and so on, just to name a few. So, on the one hand, you have uh, this requirement uh, for a probe. And on the other hand, the temptation to go back to business as usual. But if we decide to go back to business as usual, you know, if, if that's what the regulators end up doing by not doing, then there is a question of a huge credibility hit for the Indian markets, isn't there? So there is there is a sort of a, there is a, a very tough choice here. On the one hand, you sort of drop this uh, big capitalist industrialist, you know, just just let the law take its own course. In which case, uh, the political actors might feel a bit of uh, their strength undermined. On the other hand, you do exactly the opposite, and then you find that the Indian market's credibility is going to take a hit. So neither is a great or an ideal uh, outcome for the parties involved? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is really a million dollar question. We don't, or a million rupee question, uh, depending on, um, you know, way we look at it. It's not very, very easy to, but then I think, uh, I think it's it's basically the short run, short term versus the long term. So even if you are able to take that easy path out, riding through the short term thing and hoping things will happen on its own, over a period of time, I'm not too sure whether that's a good strategy given, you know, how much the group is involved in various projects and so on. Uh, so you, it is it is in the interest of the overall thing because uh, it's not a small entity, right? I mean, this is this is not even a 
take Indian entity. It's, it's a, it has global ambitions. It has global imprints. It's, it's got all these various projects signed up everywhere. Uh, even a couple of days as the crisis was going on, Gautam Adani on, had tweeted about setting up about some agreement somewhere in Israel, I think. So, so there are it, it has global imprint and all that, and and then it you know the credibility of Indian corporates and all that also takes a hit. Uh, there is always this thing of crony capitalism coming back to India, uh, and despite whatever subsequent governments want to try and uh, rid it off. So, so in that sense, and this government is very careful about its uh, you know, non-crony image uh, and it, it wants to it wants to portray that sort of a thing that we are not close to uh, the corporates and so on so in that sense you know how how this whole thing is going to be and what the higher authorities are thinking of it that is something which we don't know i mean we have to wait and watch but yeah i mean i would suggest that given how indian corporates are looking forward and so on and i you know it's 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 a lot like as they say that you know you don't want to penalize the good indian corporates for some of this going forward right so uh, they might be told in future that not 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 in long term even in short term that look how do we trust you i mean we don't know any of these things so uh, so in that sense uh, for the good indian corporates and there are many of them uh, for them to you know be the torch bearers of indian capitalism going forward it is important that you know, this thing is addressed in the right way, whatever ways that is. Uh, otherwise, it does leave a bad impression. It again leads to this whole thing that corporates and political parties are too close. And the only way for Indian businesses to grow forward is to be close to the political party. Right. I think that's a very good point, Amol. I mean, the, at the end of the day, that is a question which is going to be asked of any Indian corporate if uh, the Adani uh, entire controversy is not uh, thoroughly investigated because any any global investor who is serious, any big global corporate for you know for partnerships, uh, they're going to ask the same question as you said. How why should we trust you? How can we trust you? You know, if your market regulator is not able to regulate uh, in a transparent fashion, how do we know you are not uh, doing something similar? That's the question which will apply to even uh, a, a respected completely uh, you know, kosher kind of a corporate entity. So that is something we need to, again, think about. One final question before we wrap up, which is about uh, the Indian bank scenario. I mean, the Adanis are going to find it very, very difficult to raise funds overseas. And uh, they have actually till now benefited a great deal from the largest of Indian banks. I mean, Indian banks, public sector banks, especially State Bank of India, to name one. Collectively, they I think their exposure is already about 80,000 crores. And they must be worried uh, with the news of the last one week or so. But where can the Adanis, given the kind of number of projects they're involved in, they are like capital intensive infrastructure projects. They will need money. They will need uh, debt financing. So are what is the choice uh, for them? What is the choice for the Indian banks? Can they, to preserve, as in throw more money after... Th- as in good money after bad money, if it is going to be bad money, I don't know. So what is it? Are they going to increase their exposure at this stage, knowing what they know has come out about the group? Is it like a likely rational choice for them? No, I mean, one only, you know, one only sort of feels bad for the banks because what do they do? We've just, they've just come out of a, of a fairly messy, uh, you know, NPA problem. Yeah, they were just recapitalized, right? Yes, yes. So, so essentially, and again, you know, this exposure is coming to their books, and they don't know whether uh, how much of it will come uh, back to them, and 
and whether they will again face an NPA crisis uh, uh, going forward because these things are very connected. Even if these banks are saying that we have so little stake, but then it's not just about the Adani Group as we'd argued, right? It's it's multiple things that are into multiple projects. So if all of these things get stuck, then uh, your money is not just about Adani. Your money is across all the infrastructure projects. So it's like this catch twenty two kind of a problem. What do I do? I mean, if I lend them funds right now, I don't know uh, on what basis. And if I don't let them funds, then that whatever money stuck is also not going to come back. So, so that's where I mean, in the, the perhaps the lessons of this problem we had earlier of lending to infrastructure and lending to these kinds of entities is still not really understood well. And uh, by constantly asking banks to do infrastructure financing is where a lot of these problems are. And it goes back to the you know going back to history. And so we had all these DF development financial institutions. We are trying to build one. Again, NAPFID, but it's so we did away with DFIs. We thought they were not 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 very well managed, not very well governed, and we converted all of them into banks. And now we are, you know, we are going back to again having DFIs. So, if banks should not do infrastructure financing, who should do it then? Yeah, so it should be these uh, specialized institutions because, again, if banks are doing this, then it has to be uh, completely transparent, and that's where the problems are. I I still think there is a lot of lot of opaqueness in infrastructure financing and uh, whatever banks may do there will always be gaps so you lending any financial activity is based on some faith there is only so much i can i can't i can't ever be 100 percent. and in, in, in this infrastructure space a lot of these things are extremely complex extremely government oriented so so in that sense how do you know banks navigate through this i'm sure they're worried i mean uh, because they've just got out of a big problem and again they're staring at the same problems which they were staring at some years back Right, I think we are uh, we are out of time now, Amol. I think you you've said it very well in terms of how uh, infrastructure financing from banks is very opaque, and I think opacity is uh, a systemic problem here in this uh, in this entire issue. You know, opacity with regard to you know the ownership of those shares, for instance, which Indian Bank has tried to sort of uh, throw some light into to sort of eliminate the line of ownership, and which is what uh, you know leading to question marks over. Uh, the entire uh, group of companies and whether they should be delisted and so on. And I think the opacity is also leading to problems, uh, not just in banking, but also we have this host of infrastructure projects, which are all dependent on Adani group companies doing well. You know, So it's about India's development. No, it's not just about Adani. It's about India's development. It's about India's growth story. And then we've got the neighboring countries where Adani is doing various projects. It's also got a diplomatic angle to it. So everything is involved. So there's lots more to talk about, but we're out of time. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and sharing your insights with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sampa. Thank you so much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.